The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. And He loves us and He cares for us. I know, you know what, I find it sometimes to believe that I am loved by Him. Because I look at my life and I make an assessment of myself by myself and I'm dissatisfied with what I see. But when I look at my children and the things that they do, I love them no matter what they do. And I take heart in the fact that I am a child of God and so are you. And you know what? Children make mistakes. Children do stupid things. Children are told what to do and they do the opposite. But we have a Father in Heaven who treats us as children because He loves us and is pointing us in the right direction. He disciplines those He loves. That doesn't just mean He smacks them. It means He helps to bring them. So you're not allowed. He doesn't make us sit on the naughty step. (laughs) Just in case anybody's worried about that. He doesn't make us sit on the naughty step. He brings us into a place of training and encouragement that we might go further with Him. Hallelujah. Last week we started to look at a new series which is about gospel truth. And today, the title of today's sermon is up on the screen there, Establishing Our Foundation. We're talking about establishing our foundation in this gospel truth. What is truth? We even look back that Pilate, when he was speaking to Jesus, suddenly said, what is truth? And there is a sense in society where many people say, well, what is truth? You know, some people say this, some people say that. What am I supposed to believe? I'm believing in what I believe in and I'm doing what I want to do. That's what people come up with. But we believe there is truth that you can lay hold of. And I'm trying to lay out before you ways of thinking and ways of us working through this so we can become more founded in the gospel truth, in what is true and what is steadfast. We were looking last week at our society and how our society is filling us with half-truths, how there's... hyperbole, how there's exaggeration in our words, how we extend things. And you know what? We all know what people are saying. We all know that they're not telling us the full truth. It just becomes part of our society. We're looking at our our adverts on the television and they're telling us things and some of it we believe, but an awful lot of it we're saying, that's not true. I don't believe that. I know that's not going to happen to me, but it's just because of the lifestyle they're selling me on TV. And so there's a lot of half-truth that we live in And those half-truths affect the way that we live, affect the way that we think, affect the way that we act when we come to the Word of God. Well, it says it, yeah, but can you really believe that? You see, these are some of the things the enemy uses in our minds to distract us and to take us off course. And so we were looking at what is truth, and we were looking at this half-truth situation that is around us all the time. But we're coming back today, particularly when we're starting to form a foundation of what the Bible says, so that we can trust in that. This book is is the Christian's handbook. I was thinking about that when I was writing this. I was thinking, yeah, you know what the Bible is? That is it. Everybody would say that's the handbook for every Christian. So every believer, every person who is seeking to follow Jesus, this book is your handbook. And then I thought, what happens to all those other handbooks that I get when I buy a new piece of equipment or something? 
You know, often what happens to them? I keep them in a special place. So in a time of emergency, in other words, when I can, can no longer work things out, I'll go to it. Oh dear, that isn't what an instruction book is supposed to be. An instruction book is supposed to give us the full instructions so that we can get the very best out of life. And so often with some of the things that we have at home, we're just operating on a small percentage of what that item can give to us. Let's read the instruction book. Let's take hold of the instruction book that we may be able to be filled with the very presence of God. We're going to go through some slides today and look a little bit more about what the Bible says to help us establish our foundation. Looking, first of all, at who God is. So we're looking at who God is. Point one, his very foundation is what is true. And I want to build a picture here. We want to understand about God, and we're understanding, first of all, that the very foundation of God is true. Psalm 89 verse 14 says this, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. And then in Revelation 15, 3 and 4, we read this, Great and marvellous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are all your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So there's two scriptures that talk a little bit about the foundations of what God is, of what he says of himself, of what we can understand. And there at the bottom you see some of those uh, words highlighted. Righteous. God is righteous. God is just. God is true. God is holy. What does these things mean? God is righteous. It means that what God does is what should be done. It means that he is doing what is right all of the time. And just. Now just the most common Old Testament word for just in its translation and its meaning means this, straight. Straight. And we think of justice. What is justice? Justice is bringing things into straightness. It's bringing things into alignment. We want to make sure that justice is done. What is right is what is done. That's what we mean by when we call about justice. So when somebody is just, it means they are straight. God is straight. You know, the attribute of God is that he is light. One thing I remember, well, more than one thing, but one of the things I remember from my physics. And don't forget, if you've never heard this before... <coughs> I have two physics O-levels. Not many people can say that. The reason being is that I got physics O-level, and my A-level pass wasn't quite high enough, so it also came in O-level. But not many people can say that, but they've got two physics O-levels. But I can say that. One thing I remember is this, is the rectilinear propagation of light. Now, those of you who don't understand that, let me explain. That means that light travels in a straight line. It travels in a straight line. It can't change from that. It travels in a straight line. And God is light. He's straight. He always is straight. You see, this idea of righteousness, he does what is right. This idea of justice, he is straight. He straightens things out and he makes things right. True. Now, if you're a builder, you'd say if something is off true, it means that it's not straight. But again, this idea of true is that something is sincere. It's not deceitful. 
Something is genuine. If it's true, it's genuine. You can trust it. Can you hear the qualities that we're talking about, about our, what our God is like? Do we like these qualities? Somebody answer. Yes. Yeah, that's the right answer as well. Praise God. Yeah, we like these qualities. Because these are the things that we like. And of course, it says that God is holy. Now, in effect, holiness means that God is like no other. He's set apart. In other words, he is so right, he is so true, he's so accurate, he's so righteous in all of his ways that he is declared to be holy. But actually, when it comes to the angels looking at God, they say, he's not just holy, 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 holy. They want to emphasize these facts, that God is just, righteous, true, he is upstanding in all that he does. This is the very foundation of God. The very foundation of God is that he is true. Second point. We're going to go on to. Looking at God, uh, who God is. God is Trinity. Now, that may seem strange to me to bring this in, but you'll see where I'm going there. God is Trinity. God is one in essence and three in persons. Incidentally, we can't spend all morning talking about the doctrine of the Trinity because it's quite complex. So this is going to be quite compact. God is one in essence and three in person. Three crucial facts about him. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are distinct persons. We understand that. Each person is fully God. There is only one God. See? Hang on. Three persons, but it's one. And this is the mystery. There is a mystery about this. But what I want us to understand from this is, is that when Jesus is talking, well, in fact, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and they say, show us the Father. And he says, well, look, if you've met me, you've met the Father. Because I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And really what he's saying is I'm Trinity. The very essence of me is the essence of God. Can you see that? So it's the same with the Holy Spirit. The things that we could say about the Holy Spirit, well starters, he's holy. He's called the Holy Spirit. What's God the Father like? We've just been declaring that God is holy. The essence of each of these three persons, though they are three persons, Father, Son and Spirit, the very essence is exactly the same. And again, when Jesus uh, was on earth, he explained this, but again, Paul was saying, for instance, in Colossians, he is, talking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. So it's the great thing about Jesus is you can't see God because he's spirit, but suddenly Jesus is here in the flesh. And so Jesus is making that spirit God known in the flesh. He's the very image of God. He was God. He's the image of God. And in Hebrews, it says this, the Son, this is Jesus, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The exact representation of his being. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. God is God. Three people, one of essence, substance, together they are one, all in there and coming out of here. That's, that's the sum total of the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. So I just want you to get that in mind, but you'll see where I'm going to. Point three is this. God is truth. And what I've already declared, I say to you again, John 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
I am the way, I am the truth. What we've just looked at with Trinity, and this is why I'm saying it, the essence is the same. If Jesus says, I am the truth, what is that saying about God? It's saying that he is truth. It's saying the Holy Spirit is truth. They are truth. I am the truth. God is making this declaration. Who is God? God is the truth. He is the truth. What are his characteristics? What is the likeness? What is the foundation of his being? Being straight. Being just. Being righteous. Being holy. All of these words have this idea of staying in the right way. Saying the right thing. Doing the right thing. At the right time. In the right way. This is what God is like. God is the truth. He is the way, and what he is expressing is the way that we should live. God is real life itself. We find life in him. Now again, let's look at this from the point of view of what it says about the Holy Spirit. It says that the Holy Spirit, and again, this is the very essence of God. This is the characteristics of God. If you look in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, incidentally, in that chapter just before then, it's talking about the works of the flesh, what our flesh is like. And then it comes on to talk about the work, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. Why is there no law against these things? Because every one of us knows these are qualities we want to see more of. Nobody, nobody is going to be saying, I do not want to see more love or joy or peace. Nobody is going to say that. Now, can you understand this? Because at times when the enemy comes in like a flood to shake you, to shake your foundations, we have to go to somewhere to get ourselves strengthened. And we come back and we find, hang on a second. People are saying this, people are saying that. Where can I find myself rooted, grounded in truth? I come back to the essence of the God that I serve. And I know this, that he is loving. He is peaceful. He is the joy giver. He is the one who increases my patience. He is kind. He is good. He is faithful. He is gentle. And he can bring to me self-control. This is the attributes. The more that we spend time with God, the more of these attributes are seen in our lives. You lack in any of these? Yes, of course we do. But let's go to God and ask him for more of his presence, more of his character. So these things, what we're trying to do is we're trying to give ourselves a foundation. We're trying to understand that God is truth. We're trying to understand why do we go to God and declare him to be truth? But listen, if we're believing this, then it needs to have an impact upon our life. Because if we're saying that God is true, we need to listen to what he is saying. We need to take hold of what he is asking us to do. Because you know what? Many people don't want to accept that God is truth. But we want to understand that he is true. We want to understand how that works out 
in our lives. So having seen a little bit about the foundation of who God is, and a little bit of the understanding of how he behaves, if you like, of what his character is like, let's just look at a few more things to encourage us. It says in the scripture, Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? And the point I want to make here is that God doesn't lie. God only tells the truth. You know, we've already used this statement. I've said that God is light, and there's a different metaphor, but in 1 John 5, it says God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. It's trying to portray the same thing. God never lies. Have you ever been lied to? It breaks relationship. It affects trust. It causes disturbance. We do not like it. We hate it when people do not tell us the truth. There's a reaction within us. Okay, we may come to terms, we might forgive, but it might take some time. And it does have an effect upon relationships. When it comes to God, He is always the same. You know, this is so encouraging. It's not like last year, or do you remember five years ago, God was like this, but now, of course, you know, times evolve, you know, technology changes, and God's managed to keep up. God doesn't keep up with technology. This is not a case of like, oh, God, he's so old-fashioned. It's so old-fashioned to believe in God. God is way ahead of technology. He is the God who is revealing technology over the ages. He is the one who knows the end from the beginning. He is the author of these things. He's ahead of time. It's not a case of being old-fashioned to believe in God. We want to start the saying, people, you don't believe in God? What's the matter with you? He is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's what you need. Because our society in these days needs these things. As I go back, if you say to people, well, you don't want love, you don't want joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, coming in your life, or surrounding your life, oh, well, in a sense you mention it, Exactly. Let me introduce you to Jesus, who is the way. He doesn't lie. Now, I want to contrast this, you know, with what the Bible says about the devil. Just for one moment, so we get a contrast. John 8, verse 44 says this. And Jesus was talking to some Pharisees, and he says, You belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desire. Here we go with a description of what he is like. He was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Do you get the impression we've got two different beings here? God is truth, the devil is a liar. When he speaks, he lies. When God remains the same, he cannot change. He is steadfast and he only declares what is true. Which one would you rather follow? Well, I want truth. I want to be founded in truth. Do you remember last week, though, we mentioned this, sometimes truth doesn't suit the way we want to live our lives. That's when we come up against problems. You know, it's fine when we're in the flow, and you know what God is saying, the things we believe in, and that's right, and that's the way you should behave. But when suddenly the Word of God comes and it brings conviction to your heart, that's not the way you're living. Oh, hang on a second. I don't want that challenge. And that's the, the, the thing we have difficulty with. 
It's not so much actually making an assent to say that God is truth. The real problem we have is, do we want to move away from deceit, and do we only want to hold on to what is true? Do we want to hold on to it no matter what happens, no matter what comes against us? Do we really believe then that God is able to take us through? Listen, God does not change. He does not lie. What he says is what he will do. That's the trust that we can build in him. Our God does not lie. He is completely faithful. And just really emphasizing that, this point five here says that God doesn't change. Malachi 3 verse 6, I the Lord do not change. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today and forever. Fashion, well fashion comes and goes. It seems to go round in a circle actually, it's upgraded because I've got ties and shirts and stuff that in one sense are in fashion again now. But just they've got bigger collars or smaller, you know, they, it's, it's nearly there but not quite. Fashion keeps changing and evolving as people look at seasons and changes. And as we know, as I said, technology is evolving enough, but God is ahead of it all. He is ahead of it all. And although things around us change, our God does not change. The security that we have is that when he says he loved us, it still means he loves us today. What was true yesterday is true today and is true forever. What we see in the scriptures about our God is still true today. And sometimes there's technicalities about that. Just as Gideon was saying like, well where are all your miracles and wonders? It's not as though we're the first people to say, hang on a second, I've been reading about this about God and he doesn't seem to be doing it in my generation. There are times when we have to deal with stuff in our lives and it's usually because we've drifted away from him, not that he has changed. But whatever, we need to come to him and anchor our lives in him. Now let's just ask you a few questions. Are you putting your trust in God because he is truth? He's not a liar. He doesn't change his mind. Are we going to anchor ourselves in something that is steadfast? Something that we can trust in? So just to summarise with these things, what we are saying as Christians, we believe that God is truth. That's what we believe. So if you didn't know we believe that, then I'm letting you know now. We believe that God is truth. As creator of the universe, he is the one who has established all things, and he is the one who is able to declare what truth really is. God is the one who can lead us, guide us, and help us to live the right way. God is the one who gives us life in the first place. God is the one who establishes truth. God establishes absolute truth. An offensive comment in today's world, but something that we in, as the body of Christ, need to get hold of more and more. Our God establishes absolute truth. So when we're saying what is true, we're coming back, well, what does God have to say? That's what, you know, what, what can I do in this? What does God have to say? How do I act in these circumstances? What does God have to say? We're coming back to the fact that God is absolute truth. Oh, but it doesn't suit me. I don't like that. But let's listen to what he has to say. And let's see what the response of our hearts is, because he is truth. We believe that truth, listen, we believe that truth is a person, and that person is God himself. So we're not just dealing with just words, 
We're dealing with a person. God is truth. And God was made manifest so that as we encounter Jesus, we are encountering truth itself. Just imagine that for when Jesus was alive on the earth and these people were interacting with him. They were encountering absolute truth. How glorious was that? So we have an absolute truth. We have a rock. We have a firm foundation that we can build our lives upon. We have something that is steadfast and secure. Not that will change as the fashions change, but something that does not lie, does not cheat, but remains the same. So that, if you like, is just the beginning of this message. Well, it's nearly the end, but it's sort of the beginning of this message. Because we are declaring that God is truth. And we want to move on from this. Now, having declared that God is truth, and that that is the foundation of who He is, then we can say this, that if God is truth and His essence is truth, then we also understand that what He says is truth. God's Word is truth. Amen? Amen? Once, I was, uh, as a young man, I was in a place and I was able to bring a testimony. And part of the testimony I gave was to, to show that the Word of God was secure, so secure, so I put it on my feet and stood on it. So look, you could stand on this because it won't let you down. And then afterwards I got told off because said, that could be an offence to some people. Don't do that. But you know, there is truth in that action. We can stand steadfast on this. God speaks... His word is truth. Now God speaks to you as individuals. It's like he whispers in your ear. He speaks, you know, it's not necessarily that, he's, that it is you, a sound you hear, but you know that God can speak to you. He can speak into your heart, into your mind. He can speak to you today, personally. That is, if you like, the living, active word of God. That is the Word of God. It is authoritative. It has power. It can bring change. It is God's truth coming to you. So that's spoken word. But God has also allowed His spoken words, the things that He has said, to be written down. And so the Bible, this book here, is a reference, is a point where we can come and read of the things that God has said. God's word is truth, and that truth is collected together in what we call the scriptures. Now John himself, sorry, I'm just going back to the, to the Bible. Jesus himself, when he was praying for his disciples, really I should look at the screen, because then I can remember what's coming up next, uh, which is there to help me, not necessarily to help you. Um, when Jesus was talking to his disciples, in fact, when he was praying, uh, just before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, in John's Gospel, it records in John chapter 17, his prayer. It's interesting because it's really the only place where a whole prayer of Jesus is actually recorded for us. And in this prayer, he starts praying for his disciples, the disciples now, and then he goes on to pray for us Christians who are coming after them. For those who are coming after, I pray for them too. But as he was praying, Jesus said in this prayer to God, he's saying, God, I want you to sanctify my disciples. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. 
It's very important because Jesus was praying this. So Jesus is declaring that God's word is truth. As I say, that word can come to us in our own minds, in our own hearts, or that word can come to us through what we would call the Bible, what we would call the scriptures. I mean, it's interesting that if you are new to church and you came in this morning and you didn't have any understanding, well, praise God, we welcome you completely. But you find that we're a bit of a strange people because you might think this is the Bible and then suddenly it's talking about the Holy Scriptures. Well, what are the Holy Scriptures? I knew what the Bible was, but what are the Holy Scriptures? Or oh, the Word of God. Well, the Word of God, usually somebody's speaking. So is that what they're talking about? No, they're talking about this. So this book is actually known as the Word of God. But it's also known as the Holy Scriptures. It's also known to us as the Bible. And the reason we call it the Bible is because of Latin. And as you know, recently I've been declaring Latin. Because that's something else I know very little about. The word of God, the word Bible comes from the Latin Biblia, which means books. And actually the Bible is a collection of books. In fact, it's a collection of 66 books that are divided into two major sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is the collection, or the Old Testament is the Jewish Bible. It is the collection of Jewish writings in Hebrew, and they call that, or there's an anachronism given to uh, that uh, group of books, which is called the Tanakh. The Tanakh. So Jews call it the Tanakh. The T stands for Torah. So it's talking about the first five books that are des describing the law of God. Then you have the N.A., which is the Nevin, which is talking about the prophets, Joshua, Samuel, words spoken by prophets, and as well as the prof big prophets themselves, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and people like that. And then the K of this Tanakh means the Ketuvim. Obviously, I'm having to read this because I haven't got it all in my mind, so forgive me. The Ketuvim, which is the writings, the poetic uh, literature, the wisdom literature, and other narrative. So what I'm saying to you is the Old Testament... <coughs> The, the Old Testament is the Jewish Bible. And this is revered by Jews. It's honoured by Jews. The funny thing is about the Old Testament. The Old Testament talks a lot about the way we should live. It gives the story of the Israelite people. It tells them of the interaction of God. It tells them the importance of listening to God, of studying the Word of God and, and the law that God reveals and it also talks about the fact that there is going to be coming one who is called the Messiah, who's going to come and help the Jewish nation come into all the fullness. Indeed, not just the Jewish nation, it's going to help the world overcome evil and come into the fullness of all things. That's the Old Testament. But we know in our Bibles there's not just the Old Testament, there's the New Testament. Because the New Testament talks about that coming one. The New Testament talks about that Messiah. Messiah in Greek is Christ. It talks about Jesus Christ. God's only Son. Who came to bring the fullness of all that was spoken of in the Old Testament. And there in the New Testament, in the Gospels, the beginning, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, we see the description of this Messiah being revealed to the world. How through signs, wonders and miracles... People were looking at this man, Jesus, but understanding, wow, 
What manner of man is this that he can speak to the storm and make it quiet? That he can speak to the lame and make them healed? That can proclaim to the blind, see, and they see? What manner of man is this? And then as we move through the life story of Jesus, his death and his resurrection, we come into the, one of the key books, if you like, in the New Testament, the book of Acts, where suddenly it's like the works that Jesus had set his disciples to do, we see them fulfilling those works. And then we move into the writings of the apostles and the letters that they sent to these churches that they had established and were raising up. That's this book. That's this book. This book has life in it. This book helps us. This book is truth. This book enables us to know God. Jesus taught his disciples, if you continue in my teaching, then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. The truth. I'm just going to finish this morning by reading a little bit of Paul, the apostle, in one of the letters that he wrote to the Romans. We've established this morning that God, in his character, is truth. And we've established that his word is truth. And that his word is spoken to us and his word is written down. That is truth. Now I'm just going to read to you what Paul's writing to the Romans. Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Dad, do you want to come up? Guys, you can come up. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in sinful desires of their hearts to sexual immorality, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is to be forever praised. Paul was writing to the Romans because he wants to express to them what he could see in the society that they were living in. This has happened to us. 
this is happening to us. That because of the, the way that we want to live, I know God has said that, but my heart wants to go this way. When we find those struggles in our lives, what we're finding is we're running away from truth. And what is happening to us is we are exchanging truth for the lies that the enemy has given to us. And we're believing those things. And you know what God says? He says, I have to take my hands away. I have to let people go that way. And the result of going that way is that corruption starts to come. It's particularly seen, as Paul declares, it's particularly seen that God gives them over to sexual immorality. I don't really need to ask you, but have you seen a change in our society and what's happening as far as sexual immorality is concerned over the last two years? Yes. Has it been getting better? No. Is it getting more plain or is it becoming more confused? It's becoming more confused. It's because society is changing the truth of God. Listening to the lies of the enemy. Folks, don't just think it affects outside of the church, it affects the church, it affects our lives. It touches my heart so deep. I do not want to suppress the truth. Suppressing the truth is when you push it down so that it can no longer function. You know when a government suppresses a people, they push them down so you cannot behave in that way. We don't want to suppress God's truth, we want to elevate God's truth. We need to hear his truth. We need to take hold of it. We need to say to God, God, I want you to help me to understand what is true. I want to get on the right track. I need to be founded in you. I need every lie exposed so that I can stand in your truth. We don't want to suppress the truth and we don't want to exchange the truth. How foolish would we be? You saw the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. You want to exchange those things for a lie. And yet that's what happens to us. We're living in terrible times. But remember, our God does not lie and he does not change. He is faithful. We can come to him. We can take hold of him and we can take hold of his word. And in ourselves, I want us to come to this point where we're saying like, wow, God is true. His word is true. I'm going to get my feet standing upon his word that my life may also be true. Yeah. Uh-huh.